This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. A blessed Christmas to all. And I know what you're thinking on a Christmas morning. I would like a trivia quiz. Let's ask two questions here. One's a very serious, important question, and that was, what was the first talkie? And there's a time everybody, with motion pictures, when you first had voices uh, with them, uh, when they were called motion pictures rather than movies. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was the jazz singer with Al Jolson was the very, very first talkie. Now, a lot of people would know that, but most people don't know this. What was the singing fool? The first sequel. That's it. It was the sequel to The Jazz Singer. The first sequel was The Singing Fool, which, believe it or not, made more money. Go figure. Okay. So why are we talking about movie uh, sequels is because we all have experience with them, right? Everyone has seen movies that have been in a series. Everyone knows what it is to have a, have a sequel. So the thing about going, what happens, have you ever been in the situation? I think all of us have. You go to the movies and something's a sequel, but you haven't seen the original. You know, it's supposed to be standalone, but you just haven't seen the original movie. Now, likely you can follow the plot well enough, okay, and you might really like the movie, but somehow very often you have this thing, I think I'm missing something. I liked it, I followed it, but clearly my friends who are with me who saw the original are, having, are getting a lot more out of this somehow than I am. So if you're actually putting together a sequel, one of the things you do as a director is you often sort of cheat to remind people to give them the context that they're missing from that first film. You often will have, uh, you know, uh, basically flashbacks, for example, to the original movie to remind you of, oh, this is, this is the connection. Okay. Well, why are we talking about movie sequels? Because that's what we face here on Christmas. Why? You know, people come the first time they come to a Christmas Day service and they ask themselves, well, okay, look, I came here, I pulled out of the house, you know, the winter morning, etc., and I have yet to, to hear anything about an angel or a manger or shepherds or camels or anything exciting here. You know, we hear the prologue to John's Gospel. Well, if you're looking for all of that, we had that last night. The church has always read the actual story of the birth of Jesus on Christmas Eve. So what we're doing now on Christmas Day is the church asks us to turn back the clock. Go way before the baby in a manger, way before the choirs of angels, long before the shepherds. So we have a context for understanding what happened last night. So we can really understand this is not, didn't come out of nowhere. Okay, only then can we find out why is this birth so special? You know, a whole lot of special babies have been born. But no baby before this has ever been the same, and no baby after, no birth after will be the same. So the church says, we need to answer the question, why is this, and will it always remain <coughs> unique? So I've got to let it out of the bag, cat out of the bag, is that Christmas is actually a sequel. Okay, it's really part two to, uh, to another, to another uh, episode. So the story doesn't begin at the birth of Jesus. Well, you say, oh, I know, it goes back to the Annunciation, right? When the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, no, 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 it goes way before that. Well, you say, well, way before David. 
You know, Christ is David's heir, you know, the, the, the true son of David. Goes back to David, right? Yeah, but you're still not close. Well, David is part of the line with, oh, Israel, Moses, and the Exodus, Israel. That's true, still not there. Well, how about God's call to Abraham? God chooses a human being and speaks to an individual human being, the father of all believers. Nope. Okay, how about the creation of Adam and Eve? No. Even earlier than that. Oh, come on, all right. When did it all begin? That's the answer in today's gospel. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word <coughs> was with God, and the Word was God. A profound truth. We share the faith of Israel. You know, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's one God, but He's not alone. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. But the Word was God. God, you know, is, is one, but He's not alone. It's part of, we, later on we find, you know, in the Gospels and the Epistles, we find the mystery of the Trinity. That from the beginning of time, the Father gives His love to the Son who receives and returns. And by the way, we often think of, you know, uh, giving birth is something you do once. Actually, it's a perpetual. It never stops. It's, a, it's the life of the Trinity. The Father gives His love, the Son receives it and returns it. And that interchange between them is where proceeds the Holy Spirit. It's the mystery of life within the Trinity. So this is where it all begins, and we're going to focus on one member of that who's also the Word. We say the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So basically, the real story is the story of the Word, part one. Story of the Word, part one. So we start, <coughs> um, we start, first of all, <coughs> it's just a frog in my throat, by the way. It's not uh, some COVID or something. <coughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's a, <laughs> Trouble calling it a frog in my throat for various reasons you might imagine. Okay. <laughs> the, it says, we find out that the Word was actually at work from the beginning. You know, he says, basically, all things were made by him, and without him was not made anything that was made. So we find the story of the Word is he starts out, he's always been, but the storyline starts at creation. Remember, we have the Father, we have all three members of the Trinity present in creation. We said God, you know, the, you know the, the Lord made heavens and the earth. We have the Spirit hovering over the face of the waters. God said, let there be light. God said, that's what we say, everything is created by that Word. God said, and it was. So we see the Word, the first episode is the creation of the world. The whole world is created by the Father through the Son. But that's not the end of it. Actually, the Word continues to be active throughout the history of Israel. You know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he said, you know, that rock in the desert where the water came forth, that rock was Christ. And the church sees, we see Christ appearing. You know, we see the second person, the Word, appearing throughout the Old Testament. He was the fourth man in the fire. He appears as the angel of the Lord. He appears in various ways throughout the Old Testament. And also, that word continued his work through the prophets. 
right? We're told in fact, first Peter that it was the spirit of Christ in them that was indicating all these things. So the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the word was speaking through the prophets. That's the first, that's the original. That's the story of the word part one. So today we now come to story of the word part two, Christmas. So this is the sequel. So <coughs> what happens? You know, what's, if I have to summarize the plot line of this sequel, you know how they say some sequels are even as good as, as the original or better? This is one of them. Thank you. Bless you. And it says, the word became flesh. That word that's been from the very beginning, you know, in the very being of God, who evolved in creation, guiding Israel, becomes an actual flesh and blood human being. And I mean the real thing, not the appearance. I mean someone who had all of our weaknesses, who, who goes all of our experiences, all of our weaknesses, an actual human being. He didn't cease to be the, to be the Word, but he took on all the weaknesses and things, everything about our humanity. And we should also say, why was that necessary? And the first thing we might think is it was a nice way for God to communicate with us. It's very warm and fuzzy as it is. But I want you to think about it. This is why we have the reading from Hebrews today. Look at the first line of the reading from Hebrews. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Notice the part he says, many, many times, many ways, dreams, etc. By the way, the prophet to the rabbis mean anyone God speaks to, not just what we think of as, you know, the, like the prophets, uh, you know, writing prophets and things. Anyone God speaks to, there are 46, as the rabbis count them, you know, in the Old Testament. He says, God's often spoken. God has no trouble communicating. And after all, if he just wanted to communicate more directly, he could have had the appearance of a human being, right? He could have looked like us and talked like us. He could have done all the things Jesus did. Why did he actually have to become a human being instead of dressing up like one? Why did he have to become a human being? And that brings us to really the heart of what happens, you know, at Christmas, what this is about. He had, we, through our sin, had lost our immortality. You know, we were subject to death. We lost, we, we became mortal. It was only by taking on our mortality that, that he could restore our immortality. Now, let me explain what that means in practical terms. You know, it's easy to say, but so that doesn't make sense. Well, it does if we think about it. Use, a, use an example. I, I've always liked hiking, and when I was young, I mean, big time hiking, you know, up in the mountains and things, you know, and out in the southwest, we take these hike, big hiking trips. And I was once with a buddy, and we were hiking above the snow line. You know, it wasn't winter, but we were hiking, but it was, it was all it was snowy up there. So we were hiking above the snow line in the mountains, and then it happened. I slipped on snow and ice, and I broke both bones in my left arm. And really hurt. <laughs> but I've got to tell you, we're way up, we're like two miles from Trailhead. <coughs> and I remember turning to Wayne, <coughs> my hiking buddy, and I said, Wayne, how do we get down? And he said, dude, 
<laughs> they're not going to send up a helicopter. We're going to get down the same way you got up. You're going to walk down. You're going to get down the same way you got up. You know, one step at a time, which was true. And sort of that's the situation we are. Basically, what we did with sin is we basically were disobedient to the point of death. And how we get down is basically being obedient to the point of death, to reversing it. And that's where the problem comes in. Because the trouble is, you know, when I broke that arm, walking down was not like walking up because every time you took a step, you know, the bones, it hurt. <laughs> you know, for human beings, we have disordered affections now. We're not in a condition that it's actually possible to have perfect obedience. That's not possible for us. So we can't do that. Well, we'd say, well, the Word could step in for us, and the Word certainly could do the perfect obedience. But what about the dying? You see, part of being God, there's one thing that God truly cannot do. Now, we say there are things God can't do evil, but that's like playing with words because by definition, good is what God does. But something really that God cannot do. God is the very source of life. God is life itself. He cannot die. So the only one possible who could, cap could do this for us, we can't do it, no human being could, would be God himself in the Son, in the Word. But the Son can't do it in his immortal nature. He has to take on mortality, so he actually became a human being for the purpose of death. That's why later on, Jesus in John's Gospel says near the end, as he faces his death, he says, how can I pray about this? Father, make this pass. He said, this is the whole reason I was born. I came into the world. So that's the story of what Christmas is about. Christmas, that's why we have the two great feasts are Christmas and Easter, because they directly tie. Christmas directly ties made Easter possible. The incarnation was necessary for what happens at Easter. Now, I've got to say there's one beautiful thing that I wanted to mention, though, with this story, which is as beautiful as it can be, that can help us. As human beings, we have a real problem that we've had from the garden. Even before original sin, we had this problem. You know, I was always, I was taught as a boy that, you know, you owe certain things to every human being. You owe them respect, you know, for their dignity, you, you, you be courteous, etc. But trust is earned. Have you ever heard that? Trust is earned. We don't just trust anybody. We owe everybody, you know, courtesy, trust, and believe me, I was an auditor. Those are wise words. Trust is earned. <laughs> you say, I love you guys, just show me the receipts. Okay. <laughs> trust is earned. Now, <clears throat> the trouble we have is how do we know God really cares about us? That's not unrealistic. How do we know God will really be there for us? That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Remember, Satan said, well, how do you know he's basically not holding out on you? He knows you'll be just like him. If you eat this, you'll know, you'll just be like God yourself, knowing good and evil. And all human beings, especially in our age, are really tempted by that notion that God is holding out, right? You know, God is just holding out on us. But how can we know that's not true? Again, I said trust is earned. How did God earn our trust? Well, <coughs> and here's one of the reasons why we might say, we say, well, gee, God created us. That's true. But let me tell you again as an accountant, uh, 
the, the cost of something, when we talk about booking things at cost, is what we have to give up to get it. You know, I have to give up something for you to give me something in a transaction. So what did God have to give up to create us? Well, gee, he made us out of nothing. Okay. And he has eternity, so time means nothing to him. He gave up no time. Or, you know, it doesn't really seem like a tremendous effort. And so taking nothing down, that alone might not persuade us. After all, he created rocks. He created all sorts of lovely things. But how far would that go? So let me tell you a story here that uh, from the Old Testament that we have with the story of Abraham that will set this in its place. You know, Abraham is the father of all believers. He's an amazing man. And the first thing, something that really hits me as an old guy, is when Abraham was really old, God comes to him and says, I have a great idea. Why don't you leave everything you worked a lifetime for, leave this all behind, everyone you know, and go to a land. I won't even tell you where it is. We'll talk about it on the way, sort of jump in the car, so to speak. We'll chat on the way. That takes up, when you're old and you know there's no do-over, you know, you can't just sort of change careers. You're really leery about things. But Abraham believed and he followed God. That was amazing. And God recognized that was an amazing sign of faith. But you know, it wasn't enough. A second thing came where God promises him in his old age. First of all, God had promised him he was going to have a child by his wife, Sarah and nothing happened. And for people who've had trouble having children, understanding, conceiving, boy, you, you hate to even continue hoping. It hurts so much. You know, you keep going. For years it goes on. Finally, Abraham tries to help out. And we have, uh, you know, we, uh, so we, we, we have the, uh, the, the case of Ishmael. And later on, God says, look, I'm going to have a child. He said, look, Ishmael's good enough. We'll call, it, we'll call it a day. And he said, no, I told you it's going to be by Sarah. And this was impossible. He was too old and she was too old. But it said Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It's that episode that says it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Do you know it still wasn't good enough? That still wasn't good enough. What I mean by that, and we'll see, is look at the last episode in Abraham's life. The rabbis call it the Akita, the binding of Isaac. They'd never call it the sacrifice of Isaac because Isaac was not sacrificed. <clears throat> and so what we have here is he says, take the son you love, your only son, the son you love, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham prepares to do just that. He takes them. He's to the very point of uh, putting down the knife. And what does God say? He says, now I know that you fear God, seeing that you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. And I wish I could tell you in the Hebrew, the word no is really a powerful word. Uh, you know, for, in English, it's a, it, we just hear sort of cognizant of a fact. In Hebrew, it means, whoa, beyond everything. And that's why it says Adam, he knew his wife. It's, it's, it's a very strong verb. And he says, up until this time, I could imagine. Now I know. I know for a fact. Because if you would give up your son, you would give up anything. And we all know that's true. Anybody who's a parent knows that. You know, I can imagine situations. I'm not a brave guy. But I can imagine situations giving up my life like, to push a kid out of the way of a bus or something. Wouldn't be like it, but I'd do it. 
But I can't imagine any situation I would give up one of my children. I mean, that's really coming to a whole different level. So that's what it took to persuade God that, you know, Abraham, this is as good as it gets. I can trust you. Well, that's exactly what happens with us, why we can trust God. Because basically, the son took on our mortality. The father actually does for us what he wouldn't require Abraham to do. There's going to be no angel saving Jesus. He's going to really give up his son to the very end. And after that, how could we have any doubt? This is why John in his gospel <coughs> says that, you know, you know what's amazing? When he summarizes the gospel, John 3.16, he says, God so loved the world, he gave up his son. He said, this is the tops. You can't beat this. God so loved the world, he gave up his son. So this means we know that Christmas reminds us of the fact we can trust God because we know that there's no limit. In human things, we think there are people I might lift, lift, lend $50 to that I wouldn't lend $100 to, right? We can all think of there are people I might lend my, my lawnmower to I wouldn't loan my car to, right? But we're saying God is showing there is no limit. There is nothing he will not do for us. Literally nothing. He gave himself and his son. So that's why he says, uh, uh, and moreover, he did this when we were his enemies. Like he said, while we were still sinners, it's not like we cleaned up our act. He says, God chose his love for us, so while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I love Paul. He said, how can you distrust God? He says, look, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give him, graciously give us all things? How could you believe God would hold out when he's already given his son? So what's our conclusion? Something important to remember about our liturgy is, you know, we, we remember something. Today we remember the birth of Christ. But remember has a very special sense liturgically and in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, has a very special meaning. Remember means to take action now. It's not reminiscing about the past. It's about taking action. The liturgy always takes, past, takes place in the eternal present. It's always calling on us to do something now, not just reminisce about other times. It's calling on us to do something now. So what, we had, so the, so what, does, that, so what does that look like for us today on Christmas? Remember in Advent, our theme was the three comings of Christ, or the two comings of Christ. We have the first coming to Israel, and then we have the second coming when he comes again. But there's also the church talked about a third coming of Christ. That Christ, when he comes, uh, when Christ comes into our, into, our, um, into our lives. You know, Jesus himself speaks of it in John 14. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Or in Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Indeed, this very day at the altar, God offers us a taste of his living presence in the sacrament. So God, this is not some memory of, gee, what, that was nice 2,000 years ago. This is a present reality we're asked to come into, to have God come into, into our lives. Got to tell you a last bit of trivia, this time about Christmas carols. You know, we have an, an American Anglican priest, one of our own, who wrote one of the most famous of the Christmas carols. Um, you know, a little town of Bethlehem was written by a priest, Philip Brooks, in Massachusetts. 
you know, in the, uh, in the uh, 1800s. And he wrote these two verses exactly on this theme, the second and third verses. I want to read them to you about the idea that Christmas is all about Christ coming now. He said, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls still receive him, the dear Christ enters in. He's talking about being the present. And he finishes, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. So let our earnest Christmas prayer be, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Blessed Christmas to all of you and to those whom you love. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.